Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. Luke chapter 5 and starting in verse 15. But news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Well, this is very early on in the life and ministry of Jesus. We can deduct from other Gospels that Jesus has just delivered the Sermon on the Mount. And waiting for him at the bottom of the hillside is a leper who Jesus reaches out and cleanses. And yet Jesus knows that first thing tomorrow morning, there's going to be a large multitude of sick and hurting people waiting for him. And yet Jesus also knows and he understands that Right around the corner for him is going to be the constant irritation of his 12 disciples just not getting it and getting on his last nerve at that. Jesus understands that he's going to be exposed to the relentless harassment and the politics of the Sanhedrin. But more than anything else, Jesus knows that with each rising sun that he encounters and that he sees rise up into the sky. Well, that's just one sunrise closer to his appointment with the cross. But notice his response to it all. In fact, this is all I want to speak about this morning. Whereas yet another exhausting day in the life of Jesus comes to its close. Jesus responds to all of the desperation, to all of the sickness and hypocrisy and toxicity all around him. In three very powerful ways. And I want us to notice this progression unfold before our eyes in the text. As Jesus begins by changing his environment. Now as crucial as it is for Jesus to be amongst the multitudes. It's equally crucial for Jesus to withdraw from those multitudes and from all other people at that. And with Jesus, whenever we see him withdrawing from other people, he's always venturing deep into the wild outdoors. Matthew speaks about Jesus leaving his disciples and going up for a short time on a mountain alone. Mark describes Jesus rising up before the sun had risen and going by himself to a desolate place. And here in our text this morning, Luke says Jesus would often slip away from all others and he would go deep into the wilderness. And I very much enjoy some translations which say that Jesus would often slip away to lonely places. And so the idea here is is that Jesus is going to some uninhabited place, some place far away from the noise and hysteria of the world around him. And he would go to these places where he would not be interrupted or easily distracted. 
Well, many years ago, my depression had reached a dangerous proportion. And I had a very good anxiety and depression therapist. And she asked me a question that would forever change my life. Where she asked me, have you gone for a walk outdoors lately? She asked me, when is the last time that you went on a really, really long walk? And I just stared at the wall. And I heard myself say, you know, I really can't remember the last time I went outside and took a long walk. And yet I can tell you that I've been sobbing in the shower every morning. And I did sleep 19 consecutive hours on Saturday. And so I took her advice and I changed my environment. I found a very quiet trailway and, and I walked as far as my feet could take me. And suddenly with the warmth of the sun on my face, with all the vibrant colors of the Florida landscape and the sparkling river all around me, really before I knew it for the first time in over two years, I began to feel alive. I could even feel a smile on my face. And I began to remember what joy felt like. And I never knew this until I took that walk on that day, but the outdoors have healing properties. You know, there's just something very sacred about nature. And that's because, after all, God created it, didn't he? And that's because, after all, God forms humankind. God formed Adam from out of the earth. I once heard it expressed that we are soil with a soul. And so when we venture outdoors and we're walking somewhere, or we're just getting away as we change our environment, we are in our natural habitat. And as I had discovered so many times ever since then, so often all that we really need to do is to meet God someplace outside. Or for us in Westchester, in this area, seeing that it's been eight degrees outside, maybe for us, you know, we're just sitting by windows next to a fireplace. Or we're going to a lonely, into a desolate room in our house that nobody ever goes inside. And we change our environment in that way. Potiphar's wife had disrobed Joseph. She tried to seduce him into her bed. But Joseph changed his environment. And he slipped away from her enticements and from Satan's temptations. And I mean, can you just imagine how different King David's life would have been? Had he come down off of that rooftop, changed his environment, and met God in a desolate place? I think as for you and I, if we want God to transform us in the renewing of our hearts and minds, I believe that for our Western society, with a lot more regularity than we do, we've got to turn off CNN. We've got to slip on away from Twitter. We've got to withdraw from Fox and Facebook. And we need to slip away to some quiet place. 
change our environment and just go someplace else. Where the only sounds we're going to hear are the chirping of the sparrows and the song of the wind in the trees. Jesus would often withdraw to lonely and to a desolate place. And yet secondly though, as crucial as it is for Jesus to withdraw to a place of desolation by himself, as holy and as sacred as all of that is, there was really a reason for the desolate place to begin with. And that's because as Jesus had withdrawn far away by himself, there Luke reveals to us that he fervently prayed to the Father. This is one of the most wondrous displays of the humanity of Christ that he shares with us. How even though, yes, Jesus is a part of the Godhead that he prays to, Jesus is also in his humanity praying as one of us. And the example that he gives to us in the process is, is that prayer is so much more to Jesus than just simply merely listening to another person speak to God in the synagogue on Saturday. Uh, but no, to Jesus, prayer was a destination. It was an appointment, a very urgent appointment that he made and that he kept every day of his life. And what he teaches us in this way is that prayer, fervent prayer to the Father, is the furnace of human transformation. See, as Jesus slips away into the wilderness and he prays, we see his absolute dependency upon the Father. Well, what chargers are to our smartphones, so fervent prayer to the Father is to Jesus. And so we see that passionate prayer to the Father in silent, lonely, desolate places, that is the charger of the human soul. It's the charger of the human mind. And it's the charger of the human heart. And looking back so many times at when I was younger, at all the times that I was failing and flailing in life and in ministry, no wonder I was flailing and failing in life and ministry, because I was praying like 3% of the time. I was a smartphone that was forevermore on just 1% and had the red on it and just at any moment, it's going to die. And I mean, this is the most absolutely important, most urgent thing that we can possibly do. That we merely not only learn how to pray so much, but that we learn how to pray just like Jesus prays. I think the best way that I can really explain to myself and to us what prayer truly is, is that even though it is a part of prayer, really the essence of prayer is not telling God what we want Him to do necessarily. But really the essence of prayer is us being transformed by the one who we cry out to. And Jesus prayed many, many different types of prayers. There are occasions where Jesus prayed long prayers. Where just one chapter later in Luke chapter 6, Luke explains to us how Jesus climbed up a mountain late at night. And he begins praying to the Father. 
And his prayer did not end until the sun came up the next morning. That's a very long prayer, isn't it? John chapter 17, just before Jesus goes to the cross, he is pouring out his heart in prayer for his apostles, as well as for you and me. And it's kind of a lengthy prayer. But Jesus also prayed short prayers too. And I think sometimes we forget that Jesus was Jewish. And as all Jewish people did from their childhood, Jesus prayed with the borrowed words out of the Psalms. For his entire life upon the earth, at least, I don't know, two or three times every single day throughout every day that he lived, Jesus would stop what he was doing. And he would pray these words. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Vehafta et Adonai, Eloeha Bekol, Lavovka Uvakol, Nafshaka Uvakol Meodeha. Or, in our language, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Jesus prayed that two or three times every single conscious day of his life. No wonder he had as intimate a fellowship with God as he did. We all remember another time as Jesus is once again praying in a lonely place. One of his disciples asked him, Lord, could you teach us how to pray? I think that's a question all of us would be very intently to ask Jesus this morning. Lord, show us how to pray like you pray. And so Jesus says, all right. When you pray, pray just like this. And Jesus says, our Father. And so when we pray in this way, what we're saying to ourselves is that we are not alone in crying out to God. Prayer is something that is very much community-oriented. Every time that we cry out to our Father in heaven, every time that we pray to Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit, we are praying with the children of God of all of the earth and of all of the ages. Jesus says, Our Father who is in the heavens, hallowed be your name. You see, we've got a Father who is always near us and whose name is sacred and sacrosanct. He says, Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, His lavish grace is all that we are living for as we pray. And we are imploring God to please bring heaven down to earth and do so in the life that I live today. He says, give us this day our daily bread. So what this means as we are going to pray in this way is, God, I've got needs. I have necessities of life, but I'm not going to worry about them. And that's because I am fully dependent upon you and I already thank you in advance whether I eat today or whether I starve today. He says, forgive us of our trespasses as we have forgiven those who trespass against us. Showing us that every, every day of our lives we need to be forgiven of something. 
And so much more we need to forgive others who have sinned against us as we have sinned against God. And then Jesus says to deliver us from evil. Yes, as we pray, Holy Father, we are drawing near to you. We're letting go of our, our sin and selfishness, and we want to live a life for you. And, I mean, I'm just I'm daydreaming right now. I'm just wondering what would happen if every day our phones went off at least twice a day. And it reminded us to pray this prayer that Jesus said, pray this prayer. So all of a sudden, I have a reminder on my phone. And, and next thing I know, I'm driving down the street and I'm saying out loud, our Father who is in heaven. Kelly and Elijah are walking on campus to third period and all of a sudden they are silently praying to God, our Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Many of you are walking into your offices or wherever you happen to be going and what's going through your mind is give us this day our daily bread. Please forgive us as we have forgiven those who sinned against us and deliver us from all evil. Many years ago, a friend of mine interviewed to be the minister at a church. And I don't know if you know this or not, but with ministers, the bane of the whole interviewing process many times, all depending on where you are, is the infamous questionnaire that's commonplace in a lot of churches. I know of a minister who once got slapped with a, over 60 questions of a packet of the most <laughs> craziest, most arbitrary questions you could ever imagine. I mean, loaded questions that are demanding a yes or a no response. Questions like, do you believe that the King James Version is the only authorized version of the Bible? Questions like, do you agree that when God created the world, those, those were literal 24-hour days? Questions like, is, is it scriptural? And they love that word. Is it scriptural to have a kitchen in the church house? Is it scriptural for a Christian man to go swimming in, in a public pool with no shirt on? Oh, scandal of scandals, right? Well, when my friend went, he was very relieved because they didn't ask any of those kind of questions. <laughs> Praise God. I mean, he was absolutely stunned that rather than what's your stance about this and what's your stance about that, the very first and one of the only questions that they asked him was, how is your prayer life? They asked him, are you a man of prayer? And that became to me one of the most important questions that I've ever been asked by extension. How is my prayer life? Am I a man of prayer? And so I ask myself and I ask all of us this morning, when is the last time that as a family we stopped everything that we were doing and we hugged our spouse and we prayed with them? Or that you prayed with your children? When is the last time we were watching television and we heard news that got our blood boiling 
And yet we fell to our knees and we began praying rather than complaining or worrying ourselves to death. How long has it been since we confessed our sins out loud to God and said, Jesus, I need help. Change my heart, O God. How long has it been since we prayed just to worship our Jesus and to say thank you for all that you have done and for everything that you're doing in our life? I mean, how is our prayer life this morning? Are we men and women of prayer Monday morning through Saturday nights? And I can tell you for sure that, again, earlier times in my life, my response would have been, it's dead. I, I don't have a prayer life. It's non-existent. I think as people, we very easily reason all the time, well, I, I want to pray, but I just don't have the time to do it. I'm a little too busy to pray. And yet, as we look upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, Jesus has the whole galaxy on his shoulders. And yet, every single day, I mean, nobody who's ever lived prayed longer or more fervently on a daily basis than Jesus. Jesus is not too busy now as he makes intercession on our behalf. Yet many times in my life, I convinced myself I was, I was just too occupied to pray. And yet whenever I have ever hit mute on the world for just 15 minutes, and I've gotten up and I met Jesus for an appointment in some lonely and in a desolate place, there's this indescribable aura that can be felt. Almost on a daily basis, even before I've even prayed a word, my tears are already falling down my face. And that's because his presence is being made acutely known that you are not alone. And that I am right here with you. And that we're going through this day and through this world together. As the song that we sang moments ago says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything in our lives to God in prayer. I mean, you know me, I'm a dreamer. And I'm dreaming of a life this morning where our very life is a song to the world that says, oh, what peace He breathes within me. All my burdens He will bear. All because I'm carrying everything in my life to God in prayer. Jesus went to lonely, desolate places in order to fervently pray to the Father. And yet lastly, and most important of all though, Jesus returned with heaven within in order to meet all of the crises at hand. Really, the most important thing about the way Jesus prays is, is that Jesus, he does not pray just for the sake of, of a prayer and a thought. Rather, Jesus' whole desire is to be the living participant to the crisis that he's praying for. So as we find Jesus praying all of these times in the Gospels, 
What he's doing is, Father, give me the energy. Give me the strength and the power and the faith and the love in order to heal all of these people. To walk on this water. To climb up on this cross. I mean, when it said that Jesus would withdraw to lonely places to pray, again, we have to remind ourselves of the context of our text is that he had just preached the Sermon on the Mount. And then he had cleansed a leper of his leprosy. Jesus knows that yet another multitude is going to be waiting for him the next morning. And these multitudes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger by the day. And this was a light bulb moment for me in the past week. And what that light bulb was is that before the heavens were opened at Jesus' baptism, that before Jesus fed the multitudes with the fish and the bread, and before Jesus cleansed lepers and drove out demons, before Jesus walked on the sea and silenced it with the word, how before Jesus healed the crowds and the multitudes of their sicknesses, before Jesus surrendered to the will of the Father at the cross and gave up his spirit and breathed his last, Jesus was praying. Jesus was crying out. Jesus was rejoicing and calling on the name of the Father from the depths of his soul. And he emerged to the crisis at hand with heaven blazing in his soul. So I want to close this morning just a few chapters later in Luke chapter 9. We love Luke chapter 9 because this is the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. This is powerful, powerful imagery. As Jesus climbs a mountain yet again with James and Peter and John. As we know, his, his face is transfigured. It's blazing brighter than the sun his clothes are dazzling white. Moses and Elijah show up and begin speaking with him in the promised land. I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing. And yet what fascinates me far more than, than all of that, what really intrigues me far more than Jesus' face shining as the sun and Moses and Elijah showing up is what Jesus is doing before all of that happens. And so we close this morning in Luke chapter 9 and verse 28, where the very beginning of the event says, Now, about eight days after these things, he took with him Peter, James, and John, and he went up on the mountain, notice this, in order to pray. Especially notice verse 29, where it said that as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothing became dazzling white. And yet it only happened, Luke says, as Jesus was praying. The destination of fervent prayer in lonely places precedes transfiguration. That is so vitally important. I'm, I'm going to say it again for us is that the destination of fervent prayer to the Father in lonely places that precedes transfiguration. As Jesus comes down from the mountain with Peter, James, and John, sure enough, another crisis is awaiting them down below. 
The other nine disciples explain to Jesus that this man has a son who has a demon. And listen, we tried as hard as we could to drive it out, but we couldn't do it. Jesus says, oh, well, that's because a crisis of this magnitude will only go out through prayer and through fasting. And as for you and I, as, as one crisis after another awaits us in our lifetime, we are going to discover that most, if not all, of these crises can only be weathered through prayer and by fasting and by praying like Jesus prays. And then we will descend from the mountain of our crisis and adversity with new eyes and with new hearts. No, our face is literally not going to be blazing as the sun. And yet our conduct certainly will. And people are going to be absolutely mesmerized by the Jesus that they see in us. And so how can we let go of a life of selfishness and to live the kind of life that heaven smiles upon? I would simply say to make it our ambition and the very purpose of our life to meet Jesus every day someplace in fervent prayer. Like Jesus did in his example to us, make prayer a destination. Make it a doctor's appointment. And pray the prayer that Jesus said to pray. Pray the scriptures that Jesus prayed. And I promise you that we will begin to see like Jesus sees. We'll begin thinking like he thinks. And we will feel as exquisitely as Jesus feels. And yet when and only when we begin to pray just as Jesus prayed.